All right, children, you can be dismissed at Children's Church at this time. And as they're heading out this morning, uh, we may do things a little bit different when we get to a certain point uh, in the message this morning. I'm not quite sure, but we may. Uh, my, my heart's desire this morning, as we talk about the promise of heaven, uh, is to hopefully do what Paul did uh, to the church in Thessalonica when he was explaining some of the end-time plans and events uh, that were yet to come. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, the reason that kind of Paul gives for his explaining of some of the events in the end-time concerning the rapture and uh, different things like that is that he hopes that it would provide a comfort and be of encouragement to them as they were concerned about those that they loved, uh, those in Christ that had already passed. Uh, and so I hope to do that this morning with this promise of heaven. Just yesterday, uh, in fact, we're going different right away. Uh, yesterday, I attended a graveside service for my great aunt. It was my grandfather's uh, sister. She passed away earlier in the week, and they were just doing a graveside service. And the pastor did a great job, and he uh, entitled his message, The Homecoming, of Sister um, Glenda Barbie. And he went into it and just talked about how we were at a funeral, but at the same time, it was a homecoming for Glenda. And it was short, like most graveside services were or are, but at the end of it, he kind of stopped and just asked if anybody would like to share a story. And I never ate much of her cake, uh, but she was really good at baking cakes, and so several people shared that. There was a lady that shared their, uh, some stories of their shopping experiences and how she was going to miss those. Uh, but uh, one, one guy from our family, uh, Jeff Johnson, some of you may know him, and if not, it's not a big deal. Uh, but he had talked about, you know, during the times in which they were growing up, and my dad attested to this even afterwards, uh, that during, during Christmas get-togethers, a lot of times they would find the family at some point um, at those get-togethers around the piano singing some hymns. And so uh, Jeff uh, made the suggestion, he said, let's just sing Amazing Grace. And so about 30 to 40 people surrounded there, uh, around the casket, around the tent, began to sing Amazing Grace. And I couldn't help but think about how Jesus Christ has transformed death. Hebrews 2 talks about how because of Jesus conquering death, that we don't have to be slaves to the fear of death. I think about how that last verse of Amazing Grace, once we have been there, 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun. It goes on to say that, that we have just as much time ahead of us to continue to sing his praises. And so we begin to see how uh, that through Jesus Christ, uh, death has been transformed. And that's why a lot of times the Bible would describe death as asleep. Our bodies are resting. Our souls are in the presence of God. And so there was a lot of talk yesterday, just like there is at funerals of believers, about heaven. And so that's what I want to do this morning, is talk about the promise of heaven. And we may get to a point in this message that I'm just going to step back. Because again, I want this to be a time of comfort and of encouragement. And I may just open the floor for questions. And if I don't know the answer, and there may be a possibility I don't, I'll try to find it this week. Right? And there are some things that God has chosen to reveal, and there are those things that he has chosen to surprise us as his children when we enter into his presence. With that being said, uh, with four kids at home, uh, we kind of stay up to date on some Disney movies. And one of the latest ones that have come out is called Soul. 
And Saul is about um, this man, Joe, who is probably in his middle age. He's teaching band to middle school students, but he has a desire to make a name for himself in the world of jazz. And the kind of the whole summary of the movie that Disney, I think, is trying to portray is to find your purpose and your passion. Don't waste your life, right? Don't wait until it's too late. And so to do that, they take some liberty uh, with the afterlife and also with the before life, so to speak. But with that being said, I kind of want to just kind of launch into our message uh, with a quick clip. And in this, Joe Garner is having his opportunity to make a big break into the world of jazz. You're going to see him playing the piano at his audition. Uh, he gets the part, and then we'll kind of go from there this morning, okay? Joe Gardner, where have you been? I've been uh, teaching middle school band. Uh, but on the weekends, I... You got a suit? I... Uh, Get a suit, fool. A good suit. Back here tonight, first show's at 9, sound checks at 7. We'll see how you do. Joe, Joe Gardner, look, I'm not supposed to be here. Ah, must have been sudden for you. You see, Joe, I'm 106 years old. Been waiting a long time for this. For what? The great beyond. The great beyond? As in, as in beyond life? Yeah. 
deal with creative liberty. Fortunately for us, we know what the great beyond is because the all-knowing and ever-present eternal God has made it clear in his word. And we know that there are two destinations for those who live here on this earth, and the destinations are heaven and hell. We're going to focus this morning on heaven. We'll take some time throughout this series on hell, and we'll talk about it a little bit this morning. But we see that uh, life after death, Hebrews tells us that just as it's appointed for man to die once and face judgment, so it is that Christ paid for the sins of the world once and for all time. And with that being said, let's begin to look this morning at heaven. What is beyond this life for those of us who are in Christ and in believers? So the first promise that I want to look at this morning, just like it was last week, it may be very uh, clear and very uh, just a given. Uh, we said last week that the first promise concerning death is that we would all die. But the promise this morning for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus promises heaven. And when we talk about heaven or when the Bible speaks about heaven, I think it's just important to make this little note real quick is that there are three heavens that the Bible speaks of. One is the sky, it's the atmosphere where the birds and uh, the birds and the clouds are, and we, we see the water cycle played out. Two is space, and then the third is the dwelling place of God. We can see that in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4, and we'll touch on those in a little bit. But if you've got your Bibles with me this morning, or your phones, go ahead and take them out. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus hanging on the cross suffering for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of the world. Beside of him, in an act of mockery, I might say, is we have the places of honor of a king, and on either place of those sides of Jesus, we have the criminals. One we see in Luke 23, mocking Jesus, along with the crowd, but we begin to see a work of God in one of the criminals on the cross beside of Jesus, on one of the crosses beside Jesus. And in Luke chapter 23, we see a little bit of conversation between these suffering men hanging there on their respective crosses. Beginning in verse 39, one of the criminals hanging, hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a Jew on his deathbed, so to speak, remembering some of the promises of the Hebrew Scripture, our Old Testament, that a Messiah would be coming, that he would have a kingdom. Maybe he's remembering the words of Job, that though his body die and be laid in the ground, his Redeemer lives, and he will see his Redeemer face to face in the flesh. Whatever the case is, we see a work of God in this criminal's life, and he takes a step of faith, and he confesses his belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. He also believes that he is innocent, as we see in his words. And here was Jesus' response. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise had become a synonym for heaven in Jewish belief. And also, to an extent, it was a way in which it rephrased the Garden of Eden. They looked to the day when the Christ, or the Messiah, would come and set up his kingdom, and it would restore all that humanity forfeited in the Garden of Eden with man's original sin. So we begin to see this faith 
of this criminal in Christ. And I love the promise that God gives this man. He's unworthy. He's a sinner. Just like we are unworthy and just like we are sinners, we deserve to die on the, and, and, and suffer the wrath of God's sin. I mean, God's uh, righteous anger on our sin for all of eternity, and just like this man did. And yet when we put our faith in Jesus, just like John chapter 1 verse 12 says, that all be- who believe in him, who believe in Jesus, to them he gives the rights to become the children of God. John 3.16 is one of those verses that is so familiar with us that I believe that we lose its power and its mightiness. And that is that for whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we see that God promises eternal life. He promises heaven for all of those who believe in him. It's a beautiful promise. And if we recall the words from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, last week, as Paul was wrestling, and he's wrestling as he writes to Corinthians, he says, man, there is this inner battle within me. I desire, I long to be in the presence of God. I long to be away from this body and at home for the Lord, but I know that there's still work that he wants me to do in your lives, and so it's best for you that I stay, but oh, how I long to be with him. And he goes on to say, because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. When we take our last breath on this side of eternity, we take our first within the presence of God in heaven. It's a beautiful promise that he gives to those who trust in him beyond this life. So let's talk a little bit about this. Will we live with God forever in heaven? Because a lot of times at funerals and even as, as pastors and preachers and teachers, uh, and I think what we do on accident, by, by just accident, is we kind of water down heaven's uh, teaching, uh, or the Bible's teaching on heaven. But let's take this one first, because a lot of times, especially at funerals, we, we begin to talk about that they are in heaven with Jesus forever. And so it depends, the answer depends on what we mean by that. Simply put, by definition within the scripture, heaven is God's dwelling place. It's the place we understand that God is all present, but we talk about heaven, and it's where he chooses to most reveal himself and manifest himself in all of his glory. Uh, and so when we talk about heaven, it's God's dwelling place. He doesn't have to dwell there, but he chooses to dwell in heaven. So will we be with God in heaven forever? Go with me to John chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. In John chapter 14, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for what awaits him, the betrayal, the torture, the crucifixion, his resurrection, and eventually his ascension back into heaven. And in John chapter 14, he tries to comfort and encourage the disciples with these words. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. And the idea is is that, and I believe Revelation gives us a great picture of this with the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven on a restored earth, is that the the idea is not separate individual mansions, but in Jewish culture, uh, there would be rooms added on to the father's house as as children would get married and stuff like that. And so we kind of see that that as we're adopted into the family, there's more rooms added to the father's house once people believe in him. If this were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Isn't that a beautiful promise? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. 
and you know the way to which or to where I'm going. And so we begin to see once again Jesus instruct them on the things yet future, on the things that they will once experience. And I've heard um, these verses as one of the, the passages used to support the rapture where Christ comes back for his church. And I believe that is true. But I also have heard it explained by way of the grave as well that Christ gets us. And the promise for both of those, whether that's the rapture or the grave, is that we will be with Jesus forever. Now, that does not mean that we'll be with Jesus forever in the same place. And so the Bible's teaching on heaven is that there is a present heaven. And when we talk about when we lose our loved ones, those that have gone before us, grandparents, family members, friends who have died in Christ, we say that they have went to be with God in heaven. That's what we call the present heaven. That is the temporary heaven. But there is also an eternal heaven. And we see a great description of that in the latter chapters in the book of Isaiah. But we also see it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. In Revelation chapter 21, John sees the vision of the new Jerusalem coming out of the current heaven, meaning that that Jerusalem exists now, and, and, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about what that current heaven is like, but eventually heaven will come down and make its home on a restored earth. And in a lot of that, in John, I mean, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, I believe it is, John says, and now God's dwelling place is among his people, and it will be that way for all of eternity. And so that would be what we would call the eternal heaven. It's kind of like this. Several years ago, we were privileged to go, Stephanie and I, on a cruise through uh, Re-Energize or Energize Ministries. And so we kind of, we flew out of Greensboro. And if I'm wrong on this, honey, you can, you can correct me. I don't mind. Um, and so um, we flew out of Greensboro going to Miami. But on the way to Miami, we had a layover in Charlotte, a, a brief layover in Charlotte. And so with that being said, when we go and you tell the people where you're flying to, you not necessarily, you don't say Charlotte from Greensboro, you're just saying, I'm taking the flight to Miami, and they automatically know that you've got a little bit of a layover in, in, that, in, in Charlotte. And, it's kind of, and so picture it like this. You get a call, and you're being homeless, all right? Being homeless, struggling, sick, tired. You get a phone call saying that you just received an inheritance from a distanced family member who passed away. And it's a mansion. It is great. You're not going to have any more financial needs. You're going to have servants. Man, you've got season passes to whatever team you want in that area. And, man, you're all excited. And so when people ask you where that new home is, you don't say or mention the layover that you've got to take to get there. You just mention the city in which that inheritance is. But when we talk about heaven, it's kind of more like this the Bible teaches is that we are poor and destitute, we're homeless. For the sake of the illustration that we already touched on, my inheritance is in Miami. But there's a layover in Charlotte. To connect the dots to the Bible's teaching on heaven, the current heaven is like that layover, but the eternal heaven is not like going to Miami. But instead... The present heaven is like the layover in Charlotte. And the Bible's teaching on heaven is this, is that one day we're coming back. And God's going to make all things new. There's a great restoration. A restorance to Eden. What was once forfeited, God's going to recreate. And so instead of receiving your inheritance in Miami, you're coming back 
to say Jamestown. And as you get there, there's no weeds, there's no thorns, there's no thistles, there's no crime, there's no pollution, there's no broken relationships. You're enjoying an unhindered relationship with God without sin for all of eternity. And that's more like the Bible's teaching on heaven. Now, the present heaven is kind of more like a layover in that we're coming back with him. And that in Revelation 21 and 22, we see God make all things new. So we begin to see the present heaven and the eternal heaven. So if we're asking, are we going to spend all of eternity with Jesus? Yes, we're going to be in his presence forever. Heaven changes location in the eternal state. But as we talk about the present heaven, because honestly, like man, when we lose people we love, and when we talk about going to heaven, what is the present heaven like? And you can begin to think about movies and comic strips of men floating on clouds, playing harps, wearing diapers. You begin to hear, I, we see all dogs go to heaven, we see movies like Soul, and we begin to wonder what life in the present heaven is like. When interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine, Stephen King said this when he was asked. Now, keep in mind, like, the dude has wrote about death all of his life. And the interviewer asked him, do you hope to go to heaven when you die? And this was Stephen King's response. He says, I don't want to go to the heaven that I learned about as a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're going to lounge around on the cloud all day and listen to guys play harps? I don't want to listen to harps. I want to listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. And so we begin to see kind of like through Hollywood and through movies and stuff like that, we've kind of got this idea of current heaven or the present heaven, and we've lost the richness of which God has revealed what the current heaven is like in his word. And so I kind of want to take a brief moment doing that this morning, real brief, because I want to open it up for questions this morning. So what is the current heaven like? First, it's a real place. It's not a state of mind. The Bible speaks not of soul sleep. We see it again with Luke 23 when Jesus looks over at the criminal on the cross, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. There is a continuance of identity, there's a continuance of relationship, and there's a promise of life immediately after death. Some scriptures that we'll briefly talk about, you don't have to go there, they'll be on the screen, but in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, we see Jesus has resurrected from the dead, he's appeared on and off to his disciples, continuing to teach them about the kingdom of God, and in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascend in bodily form into heaven. And we know that he goes into heaven because as the disciples are fixed, as their gaze are fixed upon him, and until he goes out of sight, we see angels appear and say, hey, why are y'all looking into heaven like that? And so we see heaven, uh, Jesus ascend to heaven, an actual place, and, and he's, the angels say, hey, listen, he's coming back one day from heaven. In Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen, who is being put to death and being stoned because of his proclamation of Jesus Christ. And in that, we see the heavens open. God grants him just, a, I think, a, a, a vision into heaven so that he can face the, the stoning and his martyrdom 
with complete confidence and boldness and reassurance and peace. But we see in Acts 7 that the heavens are open and, and Stephen says, Behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the Father. We see that, uh, we see that the heavens are open. It's a real place. And I think Revelation 21 verses 1 through 3 also provide evidence for that. That there's a physical city. The new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. Meaning that it's, it's okay, I would think, to assume that it's already there. So it's a real place. But it's also a relational place. I think one of the things that, that many struggle with is the idea that And especially, I think, when it comes to spouses. So some of the questions are like, well, I know my spouse in heaven. Well, I know my friends in heaven. Well, I know the people I knew on earth in heaven. And it's kind of a fear because we think that, that we're going to get to heaven. We're not going to know anybody. But I believe that the Bible teaches that heaven is a relational place. And we'll explore some of those scriptures maybe later on when the floor is open for questions. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, as Paul gives instructions, in fact, if you don't mind, uh, go with me there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Well, and maybe to save time, I'll read it on the screen. Yeah, here we go. Paul writes... And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. In the Thessalonians' mind, they have certain people, specific people in mind, who have already passed away. And they're concerned with that. They're concerned whether or not they're going to miss out on Christ's coming and some of the blessings that pertain to his coming. So they got specific people in mind. He says, so you, that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers, again, specific people who have died. I believe that Paul teaches here that we will know others. As we talked about several months ago in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, that's our future reality. And that one day that all of us who have believed in Christ, who have worshipped together, who have served together, and one day we will, sit, we will be around the throne as pictured in Revelation 4 and 5. And I believe we'll know one another. Jesus knew who his disciples were when he returned after being raised from the dead. The disciples knew him. And here Paul speaks of those same believers, those specific people that you're concerned about. They're coming back, those same people. And no doubt, I believe, we'll recognize them. So it's a relational place. We'll get to enjoy unhindered relationship with each other and with God himself because of the absence of sin in our lives. The third thing, those in heaven are alive and well. Go with me to Revelation chapter 6 and go to verses 9 through 11. We want to unpack all of these. But from these three verses, there's at least 21 things that we can observe about the current heaven or the present heaven. But I want us to look and read these verses together. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God 
and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then white rose was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, were to be martyred and had joined them. And here's what, the one thing I want to take from this, although uh, maybe in a blog this week, I'll send it out, and maybe we can touch on some of this uh, when we open the floor for questions, because maybe many will tie back to these verses. But I want us to notice that those who are killed for their faith in Jesus and their unwavering faith in Jesus, they're doing things that people who are alive do. They're praying out, they're praying, and they're asking God, when will you take vengeance on those who have taken our lives, which also indicates memory from this current life in heaven. But we begin to see that they are alive and well, that God ministers to them, that he tells them to rest, that he's got it all under control, but they are alive and well, free of pain, very aware. And so they're, they're a whole lot better off than we are down here. And that leads us to the final thing I'm going to talk about this morning is that the present heaven is much better, much, much better than life here on earth. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrestles again. He says, man, I desire to be in the presence of God. He says heaven is far better. But here's what I love about Paul's words. And oftentimes when you look at Paul, you look at the suffering, the amount of suffering, the severe suffering, shipwrecked being left for dead, being hungry, being cold, having plenty, and then having lack. And you wonder how Paul just, <laughs> how he can sing hymns and praises and remain strong in his faith while chained and imprisoned for the gospel of Christ in which he preached. And as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, when Paul says that he longs to be in the presence of God, when he longs to be in heaven, when he longs to throw off the earthly body to inherit a heavenly body, like he's speaking not from empty words or wishful thinking, but he's speaking from a personal experience in which he had. And he shares a little bit about it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And trying to kind of boost his credentials or prove that he is an apostle compared to some of these other false teachers who were trying to lead the Corinthians astray. He puts this, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was called up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. So he says, I don't know if it's a vision or if he said I actually went there, but this is a revelation that God gave me about this present heaven. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was called up to paradise. Again, referencing the same thing that Jesus told the criminal on the cross he'd be with, the dwelling place of God. And heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. If you know anything about Paul, being speechless was a rarity for Paul. But I almost wonder if God gave Paul the special revelation of heaven to embolden him 
and then to encourage him during those moments where his life was in danger, which seemed more often than not when you read about Paul and his ministry and his letters. But we see that heaven is such a beautiful place and that it's much, much better than life here on earth. And that's coming from somebody who's been there. And so with that being said, we have the promise of heaven, and we have that promise through belief in Jesus. That if we confess or that we agree with God that we are sinners, that we have broken his law, and because of breaking his law, we deserve an eternity separated from him in hell. But the Bible says that if we believe in Jesus Christ, in this person and in his work on the cross, that his Death in our place paid our sin debt to God, that if we believe in that and that God rose him from the dead from the third day, the Bible gives us a beautiful promise that we'll be saved. That we'll be delivered from the punishment and, and, and wrath of God on our own sin. And we ask him to be our savior and we follow him with our life. And so with that being said this morning, as an effort to provide encouragement and to provide comfort, this is a very deep subject. I want to just open the floor for any questions.